This sermon was recorded at the Church of Christ, Wheeler area, located at 1500 South Allen L. Bean Boulevard in Wheeler, Texas. Our regular meeting times are at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. each Sunday. Come join us as we seek to worship God in spirit and in truth. This afternoon, I want to talk to you a little bit about being almost persuaded or being an almost Christian. And I'm to the point where I enjoy listening to podcasts now more than music, and that's kind of weird to say for me. But, and the certain podcast I was listening to, it so happened to be a story about a man who was almost persuaded or an almost Christian. And in this podcast, there was a man named Dan piling through his funeral sermons, and he came across one that resurrected unpleasant thoughts about uh, a man named Joe. And it reminded Dan of the truth of the lesson I'd like for us to think about this afternoon, and that is now may, may be the only time we have to obey God. And Dan knew very well what he preached at Joe's funeral. He recalled that he spoke on a Monday morning, and just the previous Friday, he was at Joe's house. And Joe was not a Christian, and Dan knew Joe because Joe had relatives that attended the church with him. And they got to talking heart to heart about essential, ma- essential matters things like Joe's spiritual welfare, the condition of his soul, and things like that. And Joe agreed that he needed to obey the gospel, and he said he would, just not yet. He wasn't quite ready, and he had some things to take care of first, and he wanted his wife to take that step with him. And there Dan was the following Monday in front of the grieving family and friends of Joe's because he had died unexpectedly from a heart attack over the weekend. I can't imagine how I, how I would feel in this situation. And I remember the time I obeyed the gospel, and I'm so thankful that I did. I remember that I was studying with my parents, and I knew the truth, and I was ready to take that next step, but I was hesitant. I don't really know why. And I remember the last service, some of you may remember this as well, Allison, Sean just baptized Cheyenne. And he looks in the crowd and with eyes as big as that, and he looks directly at me, and he says, is there anyone else that would like to be baptized? And I just froze. I didn't, I didn't move. I didn't do nothing. And I knew the truth. I was ready, but I didn't move. And I, I kept pushing it aside, and I was like, hey, I'll just be the first one baptized in the new building that we have here. And I think on that now, and I'm that's crazy. I should have just did it right then because I could have ended up like Joe from the podcast. And the word almost is probably the most tragic word in the English language. It, sometimes our lives fall apart based on the word almost, and it's one of those words that may steal our joy. Almost is a word that has changed probably all our lives. At some point, we were probably in a car, almost in a car crash or we almost died Or we almost got that job, and whatever it is, almost is that thin edge between what could be and what actually is. And this afternoon, I want to consider some words from Scripture of one of the more important occasions of the word almost. And I don't have this in the PowerPoint, but Acts 26, if you want to turn there, we'll see a conversation between two men, King Agrippa 
and Paul. And to give you the background of what's going on, Paul is in custody of the Roman Empire and he's pleading his case before King Agrippa and Festus, who's the governor of Judea. And Agrippa tells Paul to speak for himself and so he does and he told the king that he's happy to do so and that the Jews accused him of blasphemy. And he also told the king that he knew Agrippa was an expert of all the experts, uh, the questions and customs of the Jews. And so keep that in mind as we read, starting in verse 19, it says, Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me, Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand, witnessing both the small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead, and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are beside yourself. You are crazy. Much learning is driving you mad. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention, since this thing was not done in a corner. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to become a Christian. If the sense is almost, Agrippa's reply is especially sorry. Of course, almost being a Christian means that you almost have eternal life and will almost be delivered from the judgment of hell. But almost isn't enough. Far from being admired for how far he did come, Agrippa condemned himself even more by admitting how close he had, has come to the gospel and how clearly he understood it while still rejecting it. He was almost persuaded and he most likely made some excuses to v- prevent him from being a Christian. And there are many reasons that could have prevented him, but one attitude underscores them all, and that is a lack of love. And those who do not obey Christ, they do not truly love God. And John chapter 14, verse 23 and 24, it says, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love love me does not keep my words and the father which you hear is not mine but the father's who sent me those who refuse to come to Christ even when they know the truth they usually love something more than they love God and I came up with two things people may love more which cause them to reject Christ but more so in Agrippa's case but this also can apply to us and the first one is worldly honor in John chapter 12, verse 42, it says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And the man in the red right there, that's Agrippa, and on the left of him, this is Festus, the governor of Judea. And he's a man's man, a no-nonsense man, and a man who thought Paul was crazy. And perhaps Agrippa thought, I can't become Christian because Festus will think I'm crazy too. And because Agrippa wanted the praise of men, he rejected Jesus. 
Christianity is not popular and those who stand for the Lord are usually not the focus and of praise among men. And denying Christ before men because of what men may think is very tragic. In Matthew chapter 10, 32 and 33, it says, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Instead of worldly honor, instead of denying Christ and wanting the praise of men, Agrippa should have had the attitude of the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1. He says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And we, we need to hear this message. We must rather have Jesus than the approval of our friends, of our careers, or even our family. And we can either serve God's desires or another person's desires, but we cannot, deserve, we cannot serve both. And God's approval is all we need. And the other thing that people may love more than Jesus is just straight up sin. I know that worldly honor is a sin, but sin in general. And then, and on the other side of Agrippa, this is Bernice. She was a sinful, immoral companion. And he may have rightly realized that becoming a Christian, he may lose her and his other immoral friends, and he was unwilling to make that sacrifice because he loved sin more than God. And the love of sin and the love of God cannot coexist. In 1 John chapter 2 and 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the, fa- the love of the Father is not in him. And also James 4 and 4, Adulterers and adulteresses, do, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? With God, whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And one must make a choice, and in choosing, he must not forget that the pleasures of sin is passing. And what do I mean by that is Hebrews 11, chapter, or chapter 11, verse 24. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Moses chose to suffer instead of enjoying sin, and this choice, it definitely had its consequences because Moses knew that to go God's way meant to suffer affliction rather to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. And sin does have its pleasures, but Moses properly saw them as passing, even if they should last our entire earthly life. And also in choosing those must realize that they must ultimately pay the wages of sin. As Romans 6 and 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal in Jesus Christ our Lord. And studying this sermon gave me another thought. You know, can we be Christian and still be an almost Christian? And that answer is absolutely. We, we see it all the time, and sadly, though, There are those that could be described as an almost Christian who claim to be members of the church. By human standards, they are not really in the world, but in reality, they are not in the church by Christ's standards. And baptism is just the beginning of the transformation process which molds a person into the image of Christ.
and I have a few people I want to focus on and what their problem was and how those problems could be solved. The first one is the Laodiceans. In Revelation chapter 3, I don't have this one up there as well. But starting in verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with the Father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So in verse 16, it says they were, they were lukewarm, which means they were not against the Lord, but they weren't committed either. And in Matthew chapter 6 and 24, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And you cannot serve God and mammon. And also Matthew 12 and 30, He who is with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. And instead of being lukewarm, the Laodiceans should have had the attitude of a psalmist. And I don't have this one up here either, but Psalms 119, verses 97 through 104. He says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your word. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. To profess the love for God and his word is one thing, but to actually love him is very different. And to love him is to be committed and dedicated to him. And do our lives reveal dedication to God or of this world? The next person I want to talk about is Simon the Sorcerer. And another reading in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse... 9 through 21 says but there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city 
and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the, the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given. He offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. So Simon, he practiced magic, and the people said that he was the great power of God. Yet he still offered to purchase the Holy Spirit. And as Christians, we are not to love the world. In 1 John chapter 2, and verse 15, it says, Do not love the world or the things in this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And as Christians, we are to separate ourselves from the worldly. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, it says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? And also chapter 7 verse 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. And instead of doing these things, Simon should, should have sought things which were above. And one of my favorite verses is Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on the earth. And the, the next person I want to talk about is Judas Iscariot. Zane preached on this a couple months ago, how Judas was hand-selected by Christ, and he was given powers. And he was one of Jesus' closest friends, yet he was motivated by material materialism he was motivated by greed and he he had the opportunity to recognize his evil desires and get rid of them but he he still chose not to and the good thing is god gives us a lot of opportunities to repent and we need to take that action accepting christ into our lives just isn't enough we need we must do our best to overcome our sins and Become children of God. So in closing, one is to love the Lord with all of his heart, all of his soul, and all of his mind. And Paul's desire for Agrippa should be the desire of each of us, that we are not almost, but altogether a Christian in every sense of the word, as we will see in that next verse in Acts 26, verse 29. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all those who hear me today might become both almost and altogether, as am I, as I am, except for these chains. And if King Agrippa realized that 
he was almost persuaded and almost made a positive change will we look at ourselves to be examined. And then people like the Laodiceans and Simon the Sorcerer and Judas were Christians, but were almost Christians, we can be the same. And how would we feel if God almost loved us? How would we feel if Jesus almost died on the cross for our sins? And the, the, it boils down to the question is, are you a Christian or are you almost Christian? Are you almost committed or are you committed? Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you have questions about what you have heard or would like to know more information, please contact us by emailing cfcwheelerarea at gmail.com or look us up on Facebook or Instagram and send us a message there.